Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Is the end near? And when I say is the end near, I mean is the end near for the NCAA? Because we had Pete Nakos, who's a stud reporter for us here at On3, on the show yesterday. And we said, hey, Pete, there's a lawsuit going on. You got Tennessee and Virginia going after the NCAA. More power to them. But what happens if Tennessee and Virginia win this lawsuit? And Pete kind of took a second and said, you know, to put it bluntly, it means the NCAA would cease to oversee college sports and NIL enforcement. Boom. Nakos bomb. Welcome to the Hard Count, the People's College Football Show, talking ball every single day right here on this platform, the On3 YouTube channel. It is February 1st, 2024, the last one on the face of this planet. So we're going to make it the greatest one in history. We're glad to have y'all a part of this, man. We got a ton to jump into, as we always do on this show. I told you, Tennessee, the, the impact of what's about to happen here in court or however they handle this legally uh, is going to be massive. And I want us to kind of get aligned as a college football community because I think, especially in the Southeastern Conference, there's passion, there's rivalry, there's a lot of emotions, and that's why we love this sport. But I think we all need to kind of lock arms here and have a conversation about what this means for all of us. And I say us as a college football collective. Whether you're a Maction, Eastern Michigan kind of fan, whether you're an Alabama fan, whether you're a Tennessee fan, we are all on the same team here when it comes to Tennessee and Virginia against the NCAA. Massive impact, and uh, what could be happening next, we're going to kind of unpack that in a uh, little bit more of a, of a greater detail. Now, it's the offseason, and offseason is really the wrong verbiage to use because college football just, quite frankly, doesn't stop. But one thing we've noticed from our audience, y'all love predictions. We love predictions. One of my favorite things to do on this show is just to call our shots. So we're going to do that here. We have not one, not two, but three different offseason predictions one for Michigan and what I think they may end up doing here after spring football. One about Florida State and the ACC, who's actually in their own legal battle right now. And then also a little bit of a, of a peek over the horizon at what the NCAA might be doing as well here when it comes to some more, uh, some more activity on their side of things. Also, we have hard count meetings continuing to roll right along. Kalen DeBoer set for year one in Tuscaloosa. A little bit of a bumpy start, right? I mean, the transfer portal was open sesame after Nick Saban retired and you lost close to 30 guys. But with that sort of uh, starting to slow down a little bit, the portal that is, what's ahead for Kalen DeBoer in year one? What has to happen in the, in the immediate future for him post spring ball? What has to happen here in year one uh, in order for them to have some success? We'll have a little bit of a meetup there when it comes to what's going on in Tuscaloosa. Also, Jeff Halfley. Formerly, the head coach of Boston College is taking a D.C. job with the Green Bay Packers. Now, obviously, this is great for Jeff Halfley as he's going to go coach in the NFL and be one of 32 defensive coordinators in the world in that league. But it, it, uh, it drew a bit of a reaction from the college football community last night because of the reasons tied to Jeff Halfley leaving Boston College. Because it sounds like it might have a little bit to do with the landscape. And I think there's some layers to that. Because there's a way things look from a headline perspective, from a quote perspective. But then I think there's also just the way things are, period. And that's what we try to do here on this show. We kind of just try and take a deep breath, assess everything for what it is. Each situation is different. 
but what is actually true as we sit here today in the college football world. Hey, this is a beautiful thing. We get to sit here the first day of February and talk about college football together, man. Like I was thinking about this last night, just absolutely fired up that we get to do this for a living. And the fact that y'all are able to tune in on a consistent basis and the, the fact that y'all do tune in on a, on a consistent basis, uh, we don't take it for granted. We're very appreciative of and uh, would encourage you to subscribe so you don't miss a minute of what we got going on here, right here on this show, The Hard Count. All right, hey, let's, let's get right to it, man. No sense in wasting time. Tennessee and the NCAA are going toe-to-toe right now. If you have uh, been tuned out to this thing, we'll kind of catch up to speed. The NCAA is uh, essentially investigating Tennessee for, at first, what seemed to be vague reasons, and then we sort of got further and further into this, and it was most uh, specifically pointing to the recruitment of a one Nico Iamaliava, who is the future at Tennessee. You know him well. He had a high-profile recruitment. There was rumors about him being an $8 million recruit on the NIL front. And there was uh, a lot of a lot of smoke around some things that happened during his recruitment, most specifically a private jet and some boosters on his visit to Tennessee. And basically, the NCAA says, we're coming after you. And then Don Plowman, who's the chancellor at Tennessee, goes full eight mile, releases a statement for the entire world to see, just pretty much shaming the NCAA, pretty much calling them out and saying, listen, y'all have been unclear from the jump and you want to come after us for rules that weren't really even that clear to begin with. And you're saying we broke these rules and y'all got an issue with us. First of all, your rules don't even make sense. Not just are they unclear, the rules that you have in place defy human logic, defy human nature. And so that whole thing kind of uh, took over the Twitter sphere. And then that following morning, Pete Thamel puts out a report per ESPN that says, hey, we don't just have uh, a back and forth on Twitter. We don't just have Twitter fingers here. We have real deal lawsuits happening. We got Tennessee and Virginia coming after the NCAA. So what's going to happen here in court? We're, we're about to find out. But uh, I think this has greater impact than just like than just you know this being like a win for for Tennessee or you know warding off the evil NCAA as it's perceived to be. Like this is, and I said this yesterday. This is legitimately college football versus the NCAA. And so what I want us to all get aligned on here is we are all rooting for Tennessee and Virginia to take down the NCAA. And I'll talk about that more here in a second. This is going to be clipped for a one-off video, and I think this one-off video will probably garner a good amount of traction. So if you're watching this one-off video, it's from our live show, we want y'all to tune in the live show. So make sure you subscribe to the On3 YouTube channel. College football, nothing but college football every single day right here on this show, The Hard Count. Make sure you're subscribed. We appreciate you for that. For those of y'all that are tuned in live that are down to hang with us for a little bit when we ask people to subscribe. We appreciate you for that as well. Okay, back to what I was saying. This is for the greater good. And I understand that in the SEC and, and just college football in general, we love it because rivalries are, uh, they're passionate. They're, they're intense. There's a lot of emotion. A lot of y'all that watch this show are like, I would much rather have it be negative 45 degrees outside than root for Tennessee in any capacity. And to that, I would say more power to you. I understand where you're coming from. I personally would never, ever root for Columbia. I would never, ever root for Yale or Harvard or any of those other schools that I played against. I mean, I have a very, very strong feeling and a very, very strong sense of rivalry against those schools. But when we look at this situation, we got to kind of put those uh, feelings aside for a second and understand that the enemy here is not Tennessee. You're not rooting for the downfall of Tennessee. We're rooting for the NCAA to eventually get what's been coming to them for all this time. And to put it another way, like what this would be to me is like 
the, the bully finally being taken down. Because we had Pete Nakos on this show yesterday, who is an incredible reporter for us here at On3, does phenomenal work. And this whole thing sort of broke loose, and I asked Pete to come on the show and make sense of it for us. And we asked, hey, Pete, what happens if Tennessee and Virginia win this lawsuit? Like, what, what happens if, if they do end up victorious? And he was like, essentially, the NCAA would more than likely not be able to oversee college sports and NIL enforcement anymore. Y'all, that's a good thing. The NCAA has been the epitome of unreasonable for the last how many years? Tez Walker couldn't play in how many games this year? Daryl Jackson comes back to Florida State to be closer to his, his mom who's sick, and they say, no, you can't play. We got Mason Smith being suspended in an NIL era, and, and, and it's from something that happened before the NIL era, and we think suspending him is the best way to go forward. Like, look at the track record of unreasonableness for the NCAA. Y'all, it's not stopping. It's not stopping. And if they, if they end up winning this lawsuit, the NCAA, that is, they're going to continue to be the bully in some way, shape, or form. Maybe not for the long, long term, but like it, this is, to me, Tennessee and Virginia taking a swing at the bully in the schoolyard. And that's really like a tale as old as time, too, isn't it? The bully's only the bully until they get punched in the mouth, right? And until they have a, a little bit of someone else swinging back at them and somebody stands up to them. That's what Tennessee and Virginia are doing right now. And so if you're rooting for Tennessee and Virginia to get their lunch money taken, again, root for what you want to root for. But I'm just telling you, it's only a matter of time before that bully walks up to you in the schoolyard and says, hey, give me your lunch money. Now, remember, if Tennessee and Virginia had taken this bully down, we wouldn't be having to deal with this. So just because it's these schools right now, it's probably your school the next day or the day after that. Like at some point in time, the way this whole thing is trending, the NCAA is going to continue to act how they're acting. And so in this situation, we're rooting for Tennessee and Virginia as a college football public. Not, I mean, you can root for whoever you want on Saturday. That's all, more power to you. I, I don't want Georgia fans rooting for Tennessee fans. I mean, that's, that's not what we're here for. We're here, though, for the betterment of college football in the long run. Now, some people are going to see this and say, well, don't we, don't we need someone overseeing this whole thing? Like, if the NCAA isn't overseeing this, who is? It's a great question. I think the lack of the NCAA overseeing this, should this uh, lawsuit be won by Tennessee and Virginia, would force someone else into power. And I'll tell you this, I will take two in the bush versus one in the hand with the NCAA every single time. I think the conference commissioners are better suited for this. I think we could be headed towards a model where a college football commissioner becomes a reality. That just makes way too much sense for us to leave that idea out there for too long. Like something better will come along is what I'm trying to get at here. And when I say better, the bar the NCAA has set is extremely, extremely low. So I would also say when it comes to us needing leadership in the college football landscape, I think there's some feeling that if the NCAA wins this or, or loses this lawsuit and they're no longer overseeing college sports in the fashion they are right now and NIL enforcement in the way they are right now, I think there's some people that would say, well, wouldn't we just get the Wild West? Like, wouldn't we just get more anarchy? To that, I would have two thoughts. The first is the NCAA already isn't doing much to begin with. The second is the NCAA not being in the position they are right now or existing as they do right now, to me, would feel a lot like whenever your boss goes on vacation for a week. Like when your boss goes on vacation for a week, you don't just lose your mind. The office doesn't burn to the ground. Why? Because people still have a specific goal for themselves in mind. They still want to advance. They want to get paid. All these things. And so the NCAA going out of the office for hopefully an extended period of time, college football wouldn't burn to the ground. 
people would just continue to do their job. People would continue to move forward and try and achieve what they want to achieve, which is ultimately success financially, success in their different sectors of their collegiate athletics. Like, we wouldn't see this whole thing burn to the ground. Also, what we have right now, the NCAA isn't doing a tremendous job enforcing anyway. And the reason why I say that is, like, if they were doing a tremendous job enforcing the rules as a whole, would you have Tennessee and Virginia taking them to to court about this? Would you have them being sued over or having a lawsuit over this? Like, my answer would be probably not. So when I look at this thing in the long term, I think regardless of what happens in a lawsuit fashion between Tennessee and Virginia, I think the writing's on the wall here. Because even if Tennessee and Virginia somehow get their lunch money taken by the bully, they still threw a punch. And all it takes is for somebody to land one punch for somebody else to see that happen and then say, oh, they're actually not that tough. Oh, maybe that power that we used to think they have, that, that uh, reputation that used to be true for the NCAA, not really that strong anymore. They're not really all that anymore. They, they, they can't make us fearful of what they're going to do. So whether or not this ends up being the end of them, I think it's sort of the beginning of the end. And I can't wait to see what happens here because the impact of this going forward, just like Pete Nako said yesterday on the show, is enormous and will change college athletics and change NIL and how we perceive that here for the foreseeable future. So history happening right in front of our eyes. We got a, a chapter in a future history book being written right now and more power to Tennessee and Virginia for being the ones to throw the punch. But regardless... We will track that in real time, so make sure you're subscribed here so you don't miss a minute of that coverage. Um, speaking of things happening in real time, speaking of history, we've had the tectonic plates of college football shift quite a bit in the last 30 months or so between NIL and Transfer Portal and those evolutions and the 12-team playoff and all that. But Jeff Halfley, head coach for Boston College, or formerly the head coach for Boston College, is taking the defensive coordinator job with the Green Bay Packers. And it wasn't so much that he took this job in the NFL that made the ripple effect. I mean, definitely, it's a massive loss for the folks at Boston College, I believe, at least. They just won a bowl game. They beat a ranked team, SMU, in, in the bowl game. Uh, they won seven win or they had seven wins last season. Like, they were, in my opinion, trending in the right direction, even with that subpar season the year before. I thought he was doing good things at Boston College, to put it simply. So Boston College now has to find a head coach pretty late in the college football head coaching carousel. But what, uh, what drew the most response was the reasons tied to Jeff Halfley leaving Boston College. Uh, Pete Thamel of ESPN does tremendous work, obviously. I mean, he's the authority for all things in college football. And in his tweet, or the thread to his tweet about Jeff Halfley taking the job for the Packers, uh, he had a couple of other notes underneath that. And he said, per, per Pete Thamel's Twitter, Halfley's reasons for taking this coordinator job are rooted in both the overall state of college football and the opportunity to work for one of the NFL's most respected franchises. Pause right there. Okay, the overall state of college football had something to do with Jeff Halfley taking this job. Not everything to do, but something to do. Okay, let's continue. The other note from a, a report uh, was Pete Campbell talking to a source, and the source says, quote, he wants to go coach football again in a league that is all about football. A source told ESPN, College coaching has become fundraising, NIL, and recruiting your own team and transfers. There's no time to coach football anymore. Okay, so I feel like that's pretty cut and dry. That source is saying, hey, when it comes to what college football is right now, doesn't really look as recognizable as, as maybe Jeff Halfley 
uh, remembers it. Maybe it wasn't exactly what he signed up for at the front of this thing. Then Kirk Herbstreit also uh, took to Twitter and had some things to say because uh, someone quote tweeted that report. And basically the point they made was, hey, the NFL is the NFL. Jeff Halfley's leaving because the NFL is awesome and he wants to go coach at the very highest level of the sport. There's some validity to that, but Kirk Herbstreit responded and said, no, college football in its current state will be seeing more and more coaches heading to the NFL without boundaries and regulation. That makes sense. Coaches that get real opportunities in the NFL will be gone. This trend will continue until there is a new governing body and creates a collective bargaining agreement with a player's entity or union that would include issues like NIL, transfer portal, and eventually revenue sharing. This sport is spiraling out of control, and we know many coaches are not sticking around and waiting. Just a reality for the sport. Okay, so that, there's a lot to unpack there, right? There was a ton of things we just threw at you. I think the right answer is probably somewhere in the middle when we talk about Jeff Halfley taking the job with the Packers. The first part of this, I think everything that's being said is true. As long as college football continues on this trend, we're going to see good coaches leave the sport. Now, I said good coaches. I did not say every coach. I did not say every single coach that gets offered an NFL opportunity is going to leave. I think the way the sport is structured right now, you're going to see some coaches feel how Jeff Halfley feels and say, you know what, what I signed up for and the way that college football is evolving, those things don't really match anymore. Because just what that report said from Pete Thamel and ESPN, like in college football today, there's less that has to do with coaching and more that has to do with roster retention, scouting the transfer portal, making sure teams don't poach your transfers, making sure that you have the right resources for NIL to acquire top talent and keep top talent. Like there's so many factors here that are not what college football used to be. I talked to a coach about a year ago and he was just saying like, man, I wish I was coaching the guys that I recruited all the way through graduation. He was telling me it's more and more rare for him as a coach to recruit a kid out of high school, have him stay all four years, and then shake his hand once he gets his degree. Like that, That's what a lot of these guys sign up for. A lot of these guys sign up for, yes, the competitive aspect, and yes, being able to earn a pretty nice paycheck. That's obviously a part of this. But there's a very real factor in college athletics of investment into a player personally and seeing them develop and seeing them succeed and wanting to impact young people in a positive way. And then also diving full speed into what college football is from a gameplay standpoint. Actually, the X's and O's, the football side of this. And with all the extra curriculars that get added in now with NIL, with the portal, with having to keep your players on your roster and make sure they're not getting poached. Like, that's not what a lot of these guys signed up for. It's not just about football. It's football as a portion of this and then a lot of extra things tied into it. That's true. And I'm not saying that that's not a reality. That's not something we're going to have to face here. Kirby Smart actually said, as well during uh, his first interview, I want to say it was after his first national championship, the morning after, I think it's with ESPN. The calendar, if you're a college football coach or just a college football personnel in general, like it sucks. (laughs) Like you are working around the clock. And so if you're a person with a family or if you're married or whatever, like you don't have time to pour into those. Like Matthew McConaughey talks about life in terms of getting a grade in certain sectors like okay you got a certain grade for your work a certain grade for your personal life certain grade for your family life and then you know so on and so forth i think college coaches would say they have to get an a in their per in in their professional life and then from that point forward it's impossible to get anything more than a c plus in any other category because of the demand now on the other side of things on the nfl level you have like 
I want to say close to four to five weeks of vacation time. Like you're not recruiting around the clock. You finish the season, take a deep breath, and the season's long now. Don't get it twisted. You play, I mean, if you're playing in the Super Bowl, you're playing north of 20 games. But like the reality is you have more time to be a real person, to invest in your family, to take vacation, to, to get to know your kids. Like things like that are a reality in NFL, whereas in collegiate ranks, it's a lot more difficult to do right now. Not impossible, but it's a lot more difficult to do. So that's a reality. The calendar, what's going on with college football, that's definitely a reason why we're losing people. On top of that, though, I think the right answer with these future thinking thoughts around college football is somewhere in the middle. Because that's true. It's very extreme, and it's going to cause some guys to leave. The other side of this, though, is just what that report said around uh, Jeff Halfley leaving for the Packers. Like, the opportunity to coach in the NFL is absolutely attractive. And in the NFL, there's not that many jobs. Like, you, you don't just wander your way into a defensive coordinator job in one of those 32 teams. you got to be a really good freaking coach, and you have to be uh, extremely well-connected, and you have to pay, have paid your dues. Like, there's a lot that goes into getting those jobs. And so this idea that we just have a bunch of people sprinting for the door out of college football, I don't think that's all the way true. Now, will we continue to lose good coaches? There's no doubt about it. It's inevitable. The way that sports trending, no doubt about it. But to say that we're going to lose like, you know, half our coaches of the NFL, I, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's a reality. So it might be gradual. And I think as long as this continues to be um, the reality in college football, we will see some, some, uh, some good people leave, but I don't think it's going to be quite as, uh, quite as violent as maybe some people are expecting it to be. So Jeff Halfley, leaving for the NFL, more power to him, more power to the Green Bay Packers. Boston College now is on their, uh, their head coaching search as of last night, and we will obviously monitor that, and we'll monitor the, the changes in college football as we always would, but the idea that college football coaches are just trying to get out of the sport, not all the way true. I would say, though, you might see a little bit less of a, uh, see a little less longevity for some of these college football coaches. Like, I don't think that's unreasonable to assume, but I do not think that we're in a place where everyone's just trying to get out of the sport. Now, speaking of the sport itself, like we've talked a lot about NIL, we talked a lot about Transfer Portal, we talked a lot about Tennessee and their legal battle with the NCAA. Let's actually talk about some football right now. That's what I want to make sure we do here. Uh, when it comes to our off-season predictions, we got a couple of a couple of shots to call here. Quick plug: I put out the tweet once or twice on my Twitter page at JD Pacal and asked y'all, "Hey, call your shot. Give us one of your off-season predictions." And we already have a few of those queued up that we might get to in a future show. But get at me on Twitter. I'll pin that to my profile. I want to hear from y'all and what uh what you think might be on the horizon when it comes to the off-season of college football. Off-season is the wrong word. The spring period of college football. How about that? The winter to spring period of college football. I want to hear your thoughts as to what could be happening there, all right? So I'll start this off here. Uh, I think my first prediction for this spring period of college football is that the Michigan Wolverines will go get themselves a transfer portal quarterback. Now, currently, if things were to just stay the same and they were to kick off their first game tomorrow, I believe it'd be Alex Orgy to be your starting quarterback. And I don't think that's the worst case in the world. You got Alex Orgy playing quarterback for you, you bring an element with uh, his legs, you probably stay with that smash mouth identity that I would imagine Sharon Moore wants to implement for Michigan's offense going forward. But I think Michigan will go to the transfer portal 
at the very least up the talent in that room and at best to have somebody to start for you day one. And I'm not saying the room isn't talented, but I think the reason why Michigan would go get a starting quarterback or go get a quarterback period from the transfer portal is because one, this is a massive tone setter year for Sharon Moore in a lot of ways. Like this is going to be our first impression of him from start to finish as a head coach for Michigan. But also they have so many pieces like, yes, Michigan loses J.J. McCarthy. Yes, they lose Blake Corum and so on and so forth. They got a lot of pieces coming back. They got a lot of pieces next season to make a real push at another Big Ten title. And so to not have the quarterback in place when you got Colston Loveland and Donovan Edwards and Will Johnson and Mason Graham and all those pieces on that roster, like, that's a disservice to the guys on that roster. It's a disservice to Michigan overall. Like, you're, you're not just chalking it up to, ah, uh, yeah, we're going to kind of rebuild this year and see where things fall. We lost our coach and our quarterback. No, no, no. You've got a lot of ingredients to win next year in Ann Arbor. So that's the first part. Also, it would be a missed opportunity. And I say the word opportunity, that's kind of twofold. It'd be a missed opportunity in the sense that, yes, you probably have a chance to win a lot of football games with the right guy playing quarterback for you. But also, it's a massive missed opportunity in the sense of creating momentum for your football team. And not just momentum on the field, I mean momentum on the recruiting trail. I mean momentum in terms of recruits that are wondering, hmm, what does Sharon Moore's Michigan look like? Hey, are they going to be as good as they were? They're going to make an evaluation, a lot of these kids are, based on one season. Because for some of these guys, they only have one season to evaluate Michigan going forward. They don't have the luxury of playing two more years of high school football. They might only have one. And so if they're up against picking Michigan or another school that is a little bit more successful or trending upward, that's not something that Michigan wants to try and recruit a, a guy against that kind of a, of a better sample size, if that makes sense. You would like to have the momentum on the field and not have to talk about, well, hey, it was a reset year. You know, we're trying to pick things up here. We want you to come be a part of it to help us get back to where we want to be. You'd much rather walk into that living room and say, look at us. We just won the Big Ten yet again. Went and got what we needed through the transfer portal. We're going to do that as well, but come be a part of this and be a part of our continued winning that we're having here. That would be the situation and the conversation you'd like to have when it comes to talking to recruits. So I think that's massive. And again, I think Michigan will go and get a transfer portal quarterback. Now, who would that be? No idea. I don't think that's fair for us to call our shot here on who will or won't be in the portal right now. Honestly, just quite frankly, we, we would get in trouble for doing that. So we're not going to do it right now, but just keep an eye on some of these loaded quarterback rooms across the country in that post spring window. If Michigan thinks they have a chance to go get a guy to be their starter day one, and that right guy jumps in the portal, I would not be surprised if they did that for all the reasons we just mentioned. But again, I think it'll be post spring practice. I don't think it'll be before spring ball by nature of who would be available. If that's clear enough for us. All right. Another, uh, another off season prediction and this is going a little bit back to the, uh, the tectonic plates. We've referred to it many times here when it comes to the college football landscape. Uh, a lot made about Florida State and the ACC. Florida State and the ACC in a legal battle right now. A lot made about the grant of rights, and they can't get out of it. It cost them this many dollars. My prediction for Florida State is not that they will be out of the ACC by the time the season kicks off, but I think we will have a definitive answer on their future before we get to kickoff. And the reason I feel that way is there is such a massive pressure bubble growing within the ACC with Florida State. Like this last year threw gasoline on that fire, but it was something that had been brewing even before this year. 
They had already felt some type of way about the money they were bringing into the conference and the piece of the pie they were taking away from that revenue they were creating. Like this was already brewing this past season with them not making the college football playoff. And you'd have to believe a fair amount of blame being put towards the ACC and what they didn't do helping that uh, college football playoff ambition be, uh, be realized. Like I think that probably created even more pressure in that pressure bubble. But here's the thing about pressure bubbles, man. Bubbles burst. <laughs> like, if you apply enough pressure, eventually something has to give. And it's not just that this thing has been brewing and there's more pressure now. It's also, you see a bunch of different things shifting. You got the Big Ten adding teams. You got the SEC adding teams. Florida State's at this point where it's like, hey, we need to be in a conference that is going to be one of the haves in the future for us to be where we want to be. And also, let's, let's call a spade a spade here. Florida State as a brand would be extremely attractive to whether the, the Big Ten or the SEC, like, the, I mean, Florida State would be a have as a brand. People want Florida State in their conference. I have to believe that. Now, I don't have any, like, definitive proof that's the case, but given the, the crowd they draw, given their alumni base, given their brand, like, Florida State is going to be sought after if they're ever on the market. Now, we're going back to this talking around the legalities and the lawyers and the money and all that. Like, here's what I would say on that. Everyone seems to have a strong opinion on this. Everyone likes to act like an expert because of the information that's available. All I would say is the information that's available is the information that people allow to be available. Meaning like the people that actually know what's going on in that room when it comes to the ACC and Florida State and conference realignment, very, very few number of people there. Okay, so if they're letting, it, if they're letting something out because they're okay with it being out, they're, they're, at, they're able to craft that narrative so specifically to where like they're the ones that control the flow of information. I've said this a couple times on this show, but I'll say it one more time. Let's go back to when Texas and Oklahoma are trying to leave for the SEC early. Breaks on a Friday. Hey guys, here's the deal. It's not going to get done. Just too many hoops to jump through. You know, legalities, lawyers, all that. Like we couldn't get it done. Sorry. Okay, great. So we go down here, cut a video and we say, hey, it's not happening. Here's why. But we also, at the end of that very same video, said these things tend to change pretty quickly. The information is pretty minimal. Just keep an eye on this. This is what they're saying right now, but keep an eye on this. A week later, one week later, the narrative totally flips. Texas and Oklahoma, hey, good news, guys, we figured it out. No problems here. They're leaving for the SEC early. That was such a swift change. That was such a violent flip from it's not happening early to it is happening early in a, in a matter of a week. And so what I'm trying to say here is as many people will yell and scream and tell you there's no way it happens. The grant of rights is rock solid. Like, tell me what you want to tell me. But I understand now there's a lot that you're not telling me that's happening behind closed doors that may very well be Florida State having their way and may very well be Florida State finding their way out of this thing. I would also add the ambition and the motivation Florida State has given what's happened the last couple of years. I think they will fight tooth and nail to be out of the ACC. So I'm not saying that they're in a different conference when we kick off, but I am saying I think their future is decided before we kick off. I think we'll know, hey, eventually in the year, let's pick a random year and say 2026. In 2026, Florida State will be in the Big Ten or be in the SEC. The Big Ten makes more sense, just so we're on the same page there. That'd be the shot I would call. But yeah, we'll keep an eye on that one. I think Florida State and their future will be clear before we get rolling in next college football season. Remember, it kind of happens right around media days, so we'll we'll keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on that timeline. Um, last one here, our last prediction, and I also want to hear y'all. So again, 
Get at me on social media, at JD Paquel, Twitter, Instagram. Send me your off-season prediction. Not your season prediction, not, hey, I'm picking this team to win the national championship, not this team to win X amount of games, but your off-season, your spring-winter prediction. Appreciate y'all in advance for that. All right, our last prediction here is that the NCAA has, uh, as difficult as they may be, they're pretty predictable, right? I think we see another high-profile investigation for them on insert whatever big brand school here. And we're not saying this because we have some feel of like, oh, the NCAA, we're, we're hearing things about this SEC school or this, this Big Ten school. That's not the case. What I'm saying here is the NCAA is clearly on a, on a warpath. Like th- they are clearly on some sort of march here to prove a point. Now, again, we're rooting for Tennessee and Virginia to throw that haymaker and knock them out cold for good and have it be NCAA, peace out, y'all can't govern college sports and NIL how you were anymore. But I think the NCAA feels that sense of urgency and they're like, hey, we got we to gotta kind of flex up a little bit here. We got to bow our chest a little bit. And we've seen that now over the course of, I guess, the last two months or so. Stuff with Florida, stuff with Florida State, stuff with Tennessee now, like, the NCAA is trying to, in my estimation, make some noise. I don't think that's stopping. I think we're going to continue to see them charge forward and try and get after somebody else. Now, who would that be? If we're just using the profile here, it would be somebody that is a player in the NIL game and has done well through the portal. That seems to be the criteria that they like to go after when it comes to uh, the NCAA. So again, I, I think this is them trying to save face. I think it's them trying to make a statement to the rest of the world like hey no no no, we, we do something here I promise we do something we do something look at us we're trying to trying to tell you about these rules that we have in place and again this is why we love what Don Plowman said so much and she was like y'all don't do nothing <laughs> y'all, y'all are trying to show us these rules that you've just now put in place that weren't even clear from the jump and kind of gave them the all right we'll see y'all we'll see y'all when we see y'all we'll see you in court that wasn't Don Plowman specifically saying that I don't think she said it like that but what she said in her statement, and then with the attorney generals of Tennessee and Virginia bringing it back around to them, I'm all about it. Bullies get what's coming to them. But basically, our prediction here is a bully will continue to try and bully somebody else until they get a stop put to them. So I think one more high-profile investigation is on the way. Just just based on the pattern, we're just trusting the pattern and the predictability of the NCAA. Also should be noted, uh, the NCAA should have been forced into retirement whenever they put out that video or that commercial rather about a day in the life of a student athlete and they oh dude they just got cooked i would say go look at it on twitter but it's no longer on twitter the ncaa legitimately got bullied into deleting that tweet because you had pro athletes college athletes saying this is not at all how a day in the life of an athlete is and it's hard to explain over a a podcast or video terms but just just go watch it essentially it is the ncaa putting out a commercial about 30 seconds of an ad of an athlete's day in the life. I put air quotes around day in the life um, because the, the day in the life that they presented in that commercial was so far from the reality of any student athlete's day in the life. Like it shows the athlete sleeping in and then waking up and going to like an 8 a.m. class and then sitting in class and then going to practice. And then they go and like hang out with their friends or something like that. And athletes around, I'm going on a tangent here, but I think, I think it's worth noting, uh, athletes around the world, college and pro, are both like, wait, where's the, where's the 5 a.m. training? Wait, where's the ice bags they're supposed to be wearing going from place to place? Wait, what about treatment? What about voluntary activities? What about, what about going to the training room? And so it was just like the most, 
the most out of touch thing you could have done if you're the NCAA and then they eventually had to delete it because again they got cyber bullied into uh into deleting it so anyway that should have been the uh the red flag for all of us but now with this lawsuit we're supposed to get some some real momentum here potentially so that's that's kind of what's going on there just wanted to say our piece those are our predictions for uh this part of the college football calendar year appreciate everybody dialed in right now everybody watching the live show uh whenever i listen to the show back i keep saying i'm going to say we appreciate y'all less but we can't help it if we feel gratitude kind of is what it is here make sure you get your questions into the live chat here we got one more segment to get to and then I want to hear from y'all via the live chat. Nick Breakkeeper, the Q, holding it down. So we'll welcome him on here in just a matter of moments. Before we get to that, though, we've had a segment here we've enjoyed for the last part of the oh, six to eight weeks. And that is hard count meetings. Now, hard count meetings, just so we're on the same page here, is essentially we take an overarching view of what's going on at specific college football programs to specific college football head coaches. And I want us to go right now to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and take a look at what's going on with uh, with Kalen DeBoer. Now, with Kalen DeBoer, there is good news and there is bad news. Obviously, Nick Saban retires, and whenever the greatest of all time retires, he's probably a big reason why a lot of those kids committed to that school. So the bad news is, with that retirement, you had a lot of kids that were just like, hey, coach, you might be awesome. You might be a great head coach. You guys might do great things here. But I came here for Nick Saban. Nick Saban's not here anymore. Therefore, I am not here anymore. You lost almost 30 guys to the transfer portal. That's the bad news. Now, the good news is Alabama across their roster was built pretty solid. And when I say pretty solid, I mean like Nick Saban had stacked that thing with top two recruiting classes. So, yes, you lost some guys, but you also have a lot of talented guys that stayed. So the the cupboard isn't empty, but uh, it's definitely a little bit more thin than it was previously. But with what I was saying, still some talent on campus. Probably most importantly, or one of the most important pieces, Jalen Milrow is staying. He's going to be there. Um, the mission this year for Kalen DeBoer, what's success, right? That's going to be the thing you hear a lot of at SEC Media Days and when people break down Alabama in their way too early predictions. What is success for Kalen DeBoer? What's a win total? Uh, I don't have a win total for you, but I think the mission for Kalen DeBoer is to stabilize the optics. Okay, stabilizing the optics. What does that mean? Essentially, it means that everybody that's holding their breath and in wait-and-see mode about Alabama, just reassure them this year. I told you I wasn't going to give you a win total, but I think if you're anywhere 10 wins or more, that would stabilize the optics. Now, the other good news that's probably married to that is the fact that this year in college football, I think you will see the least amount of drama in the regular season. Now, I'm not saying it will have drama in the sense that it won't be entertaining or that we won't watch every single game or that every single game won't have a massive impact. But I do think with the way that this expanded playoff is situated, you could lose two different football games and still find your way in the national championship game. You get hot at the right time in that 12-team format, you're good to go. So all I'm saying is like if Kalen DeBoer loses to Georgia in that game in late September, Previously, that would have meant, oh, well, is Alabama going to make the playoff? They don't control their own destiny now. Like, what's going to happen to them? Now it's like, man, Alabama can't lose another one. That's a bad loss. Yes, that's not good for Alabama to drop a game, especially in the regular season. But the, the consequences of that are a little bit watered down by nature of the regular season and how it sits now. So with that being the case, I think there is a little bit of margin for error for Kalen DeBoer. Now, error isn't something there accustomed to in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, but still, I think it needs to be on the record that that is, in my mind, playing in his favor in year one. I would also say when it comes to stabilizing optics, 
winning creates belief on the recruiting trail. Because you hear a lot of different, you know, uh, reports from guys in their recruitment and you ask them about Alabama, the sentiment across the board, the majority seems to feel like we're in wait and see mode with the new Alabama. And so if Alabama is able to, just what I said, have a solid season this year and stabilize the optics on the field, that recreates the belief that, okay, Alabama still Alabama. Yes, Nick Saban's not there anymore, but still Alabama is one of the premier institutions, one of the premier brands in this sport. I'll go commit to Alabama. I'm not saying they recruit at the top level every single year, but I do think being in that top five range and winning probably go hand in hand. Um, now, here's what I would say too. Kalen DeBoer can coach. Like, say what you want about him as a recruiter. That's the big question everyone has. It's the big question I have. Landing Ryan Williams was a very nice start to their, uh, their class they have right now. But Kalen DeBoer is 104-12 as a head coach. Say what you want about what level that was at. If you win 104 out of 116 football games, I don't care if it's Pop Warner. I don't care if it's NAIA. I don't care if it's in the Pac-12, SEC, Big 12, Big 10. It doesn't matter to me. ACC doesn't matter. You win that many games as a head coach and lose that many games, again, 104 and 12, you're a good football coach. So Kalen DeBoer, if they can get the right talent on that roster, that again, I think is very much so tied to having success on the field this year, they're going to be okay. Kalen DeBoer is a really freaking good football coach. Jesse Simonton uh, released his top 10 coaches. Jesse Simonton's a phenomenal columnist for us here at On3. He released his top 10 coaches right now in college football. We might do the same thing at some point in time. Uh, he has Kalen DeBoer in that top five range. Yeah, Kalen DeBoer can coach some football. Now, when it comes to the immediate future, before they even play a football game, what does he have to do? There's the obvious of establish your culture, create buy-in, you know, build things the right way behind closed doors during winter conditioning and spring football. That's all true. But from a more action step side of things, something that we will see, I think Kalen DeBoer in Alabama need to go on offense in the portal. Hey, that's fine. We, you know, we, we kind of took our licks in that, uh, in that first period of the transfer portal. Yeah, the GOAT retires. What do you want me to do here? What do you, what, what do you want me to do? You want me to just you know, keep 30-plus guys on our roster? How am I supposed to do that? They came here for Nick Saban. doesn't matter what kind of pitch I make to them. They're leaving. I'm not saying that's the case for every single one of those guys, but I do think the majority are, left, are, are, are leaving Alabama or left Alabama because of Nick Saban. So that's the unfortunate reality that I think a lot of it you can't necessarily pin on Kalen DeBoer. Can't control that. But what you can control is how you attack the portal in that post-spring window. So it'll be a lot of heavy evaluation within that staff of what you have on your roster during spring practice. And whatever you don't feel incredible about, whatever you don't think is as good as it could be, you go to the portal and you bring them in in droves. That's what I think he has to do. Because with what they have on their roster right now, I think they can be good. Have they maximized their potential based on who could be in the portal? I don't believe that. I think the portal... Uh, the portal exodus that hurt Alabama, you need to go and refill some of those spots, at least from a depth perspective, in that post-spring window. So that's the immediate action we want to see them make. Sanders not changing Tuscaloosa. That script day, man, as long as Nick Saban, you know, as long as he was there, it meant something. But even with him not being there, it still means something. Like those folks, they're, uh, they're not going to settle for a nine-win season and say, oh, it's okay, it's first year. No, like most places you get a first-year grace period, not when Nick Saban was your head coach. I don't think that grace period necessarily applies. Now, I'm not saying they're going to have some sort of a hot seat conversation if he wins nine games or eight games in his first year. That's not what I'm saying. But I just think from a approval rating, 
from that fan base, they, uh, they expect filet mignon for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So, from Kalen DeBoer, and that post-spring window, let's go get some ingredients to make filet mignon. That's how we feel about it. But again, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a minute of those other hard count meetings. Also, let me know via social media. We'll plug it one more time. Instagram, Twitter, the same handle, at JD Pakel. What is the next hard count meeting you want us to have? Appreciate y'all providing some input there. There it is again. Appreciate y'all. We appreciate, okay, is, is that a crime for appreciating y'all? I don't think so. But regardless, we're going to move right along here. All right, let's get to this now. I want to hear from y'all, like I just said a second ago. Only this time, we're going to do it in real time with the live chat. One of the many benefits of watching this show live on YouTube, you can get it on podcast, and that's great if you get it on podcast, or that's great if you watch the clips on social media afterwards. That's all phenomenal. We encourage all of that. But the two benefits of being tuned in live to the YouTube show, 11 a.m. Eastern, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. One, you get to see Nick break. Tell you what, man, good looking dude. Very, very good looking dude. Just objectively speaking, 10 out of 10. Other part of this, we get to hear from y'all in the live chat. Bring it on the man, the myth, the legend, Nick Brake. What's up, baby? How we living? Well, I'm doing good. For whatever reason, I, when I was setting everything up today, I made my shot kind of look really bright. So I look like I'm in a Wes Anderson movie, which isn't a bad thing in my opinion. <laughs> um, so uh, we got some good questions. Ferris Khan, I'll ask his first, asked a question, says, JD, as commissioner of the NCAA, if you had the job, how do you keep transfers to a reasonable level so we don't have the Wild West of free agency every single year? That's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Yep. I don't know. I think you have, to, you have to play with the windows. I think the windows are just here, – here's what I would say. I don't know the, the exact right answer. My first order of business, though, if I were running the show as the commissioner of college football, would be to shorten the windows. So, like, let's not give these guys a month to jump in the portal. Let's go, like, five days. Let's go a week. A lot of these guys already know they're leaving if they're leaving. Right? Let's, let's, not, let's not outthink this and give them – this extended period of time to then like string us along as a staff. And I don't know if my linebacker is going to be back until the third week of the portal being open. Let's make it five days. If you're in, you're in. If you're not stay and we'll know what we have as a staff. And that's going to, I think, help things overall. That would probably help with the volume in my mind, Nick. Shortening the windows. Yeah. Hey, best Wes Anderson movie. What's that for you? Oh, yeah, um, I know. That's the kind of that's the kind of questions we ask. I on love. The show. Uh, well, I you know honestly, I don't know how many people in the chat have ever heard of Wes Anderson or watch movies, but uh, you I know, know I love Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah, uh, there's a movie called Rushmore uh, that Wes Anderson made that I love a lot. Ooh, Rushmore. Um, Rushmore and his most recent movie, Asteroid City. I told you I didn't love it the first time. Love it. I've seen it four times now. It's no amazing. way. Okay. So those are my three favorite. How's that? Those are solid. I like that. I haven't yeah. seen Rushmore, but I have oh, seen Moonrise great. Kingdom. Yeah, Rushmore is amazing. It's a winner. Um, yeah, next question. This is from Jared Stidham, uh, who says, my camera is so bright because God is smiling down on me. <laughs> um, says that, uh, what regular season game in 2024 do you think you want to go to the most, JD? Dude, Michigan-Texas in week two is going to be awesome. Wow, yeah. Big noon kickoff. We get there and back. Like, I, I would love – also, that's like the first big game of the Sharon Moore era. I would love to be at the big house for that one, man. We all, I mean, there's a lot of venues that we got to get to that we haven't been to yet. Like, the, for, for everybody watching this Lincoln, Nebraska, we got to get to y'all. Somehow, someway, we got to get to y'all during the regular season. Um, yeah, September 7th, Texas, Michigan. That was a big reason why uh, the Texas-Oklahoma deal to the SEC got done early for some reports. So I would love to be at that one. That's going to be massive and also a huge game for both sides. 
probably top 10, top five matchup, depending on where you put Michigan in the preseason. I'd be all about that one, dude. And, I mean, Texas could be the first team, if they are to beat Michigan, to beat them in over a year, you know? First regular season. I mean, when was the last time they lost a regular season game? It was Ohio State, what, 20, what was that, 2019? Oh, no, 2020. They lost several games, I guess. Let's see. I think, uh, yeah, I think 2021. Yeah, because 2022, they went. Oh, they lost to Michigan State the uh, in 2021. I think that was the last yeah. time. I'm making sure. They I'm lost not. to Michigan State. Yeah. Yep. That's right. In East Lansing. Yeah, yeah that, that, was, was the, that was a crazy game. That was the one that turned the tables. Like, Aiden Hutchinson had a strip sack for a touchdown, and then they mm-hmm. called it back, and then things just. Because Michigan was running away with that game, too. Yeah, that was crazy. That was during the Kenneth Walker era. Yeah. And he just went like road to glory mode. Yep. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's a long time ago. Texas. Could... Look at Ferris Collin too, calling it out in the chat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, next question. This is, this is coming from crazy dog. This season, Georgia had two former five stars that started and five former three stars. Is Kirby's success more because of recruiting or culture and player development? I think it's both. I mean, I understand where you're coming from there, but I would also say like Georgia was successful because they had the better players the majority of the time. Like there was many games where Georgia just walked out there and they're like, hey, we have the better Jimmys and the Joes. So you're going to have to play not just your best game of the season, but your best game the last two seasons to have a chance against us. And like we saw multiple times, they were just overpowering teams. It wasn't like they were overly, you know, overly, uh, complex in their scheme or like they were just having the edge on on how they dialed it up like a lot of times it was just Georgia being Georgia so that's one but I think going hand in hand with that culturally you have to have a standard you uphold day in and day out to maximize that talent because we've seen a lot of talented rosters underperform in a very very big way and uh, Georgia consistently uh, is up to par and up to their level of talent they have on that roster so I think it's probably a little bit of both if I had to pick one I think it's hard to make any. It's it's hard it's hard to uh, hard to account for talent. You can have a great culture and get the most out of your talent, but when you have a bunch of five stars on the field, that's tough. That's very very tough to defend against. Man, I'm still not a, one loss in the regular season since October like October 30th of 2021. It's pretty good. It's been it's been a minute, man. DC, been a my minute. favorite sports team, DC and I, lost fourteen games alone last year, and I thought it was a good season. So, well, there's a lot of games though. That's true. There are thirty games, but that's still okay. um, over yeah. half your games. We only won ten. We tied the rest. Um, hey, uh, Chris says I love your content. JD as a Tennessee fan. I appreciate your honest, unbiased analysis. Thank hey, appreciate it, Chris. Yeah, appreciate absolutely. having you part of the show, man. Mm-hmm. It's big time. Thanks for and, tuning and, in. And then I want to go to this because there are a lot of um, Tennessee fans in the chat today. Um, this is from a guy named Zach, who I don't think is a Tennessee fan. I believe I see Alabama in the profile pic. Says UTK will never win another SEC title for. So for the Tennessee fans, JD, your response is what? My response would be you got the best player from the 2023 cycle playing yep. quarterback for you. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, man, you can't, you cannot put a level of impact on what that could mean. Like, like Nico could just be the truth, and that might just be all there is to it. Like, if he is as good as we believe he could be coming out of high school, um, all bets are off. And you saw flashes of that in the bowl game. We're going to be slow to define what he is as a true sophomore, but like, hey, that dude is special. Dude is very, very special. He's got all the tools, and if they put the right pieces around him. Tennessee is going to be uh, in very good shape. So I don't know, man. You also, I mean, like 
You don't know what Alabama is going to be in this new era. You don't mm -hmm. necessarily know what it's going to look like going forward when um, Carson Beck leaves Georgia. And that'll be a time where Nico's still there. Like, there's a lot of tectonic plates moving. I, I, I don't believe that's a, a label we will walk out when it comes to Tennessee. I still think that's going to be possible as long as Nico's the quarterback there and as long as Josh Heupel's the head coach there, too. Yep. J.D., uh, there's a person in the chat named Burley. I haven't seen Burley in the chat for months. Welcome back, Where Burley. Where have you been? Welcome back. Yeah, absolutely. Always good to see people who, you know, it's been a while since we've seen Burley. So welcome yeah. back, like you said. Um, J.D., a couple more questions um, from Ferris. Another one. What if um, Alex Orgy in 2024 turns into Milrow in 2023? Can you see that comparison, a big season? To be honest, I haven't seen enough of, of Alex Orgy as a passer to have a good gauge for that. I know they used him a lot in a lot that they used him situationally for some running packages. Great athlete. Dude, dude's a tremendous asset for you running the football. I just haven't seen him throw the football. I know there's this like reputation from some Michigan fans of what he is or isn't. Let's just, let's give it some time. I'm gonna look up how many passes he's actually thrown as a, as a Michigan Wolverine. Definitely not as many as um, Jalen Milrow got to throw in 2022 since Bryce Young was out for extended time. So true. It's a tough comparison. Yeah. So currently I have him in 2023 with zero passes attempted mm -hmm. and uh, in 2022 he's one for one. So, Hey, I would just say I haven't seen an incompletion from him. Yeah. 100%. Might be, it might be a spring game. We have to go back and watch to get a good gauge, but let's just, let's see, let's, let's let this opinion kind of, kind of formulate and not, uh, not flash fry it. JD, I heard you've never thrown an incompletion in college football. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> true. I'm I'm a perfect zero for zero. We had one dialed up when really? I was playing Wildcat quarterback. It was a little oh. uh, little, little RPO, mm -hmm. and like I think they blitzed us. Oh man! And I mean, I just got rocked before I could even have a chance to look at it. It's not an excuse. We we also we had a trick play dialed up for our last game. It was like a double reverse pass. Worked on it all week in practice. We were perfect completing it. We're like, heck yeah, last go around, boys, against the rival school. Like, we're going we're gonna to call it this week. Never called it. Never called it. Hey, as long as you Yankee held on. Yankee right. That's what it was. Oh, nice. Yep. As long as you held on to the football, you got blitzed. All good. Yeah, it is what, yeah. Yeah. We, we held on to the ball, which I guess that's a, what's a moral victory, but. It is. Nothing else you can do there. Good package from yeah, the defense. Yeah, you know, Yeah. That's a whole other. That's a whole other film breakdown we could do at this point. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe we'll do maybe that. Maybe in a slower time of the year, we'll have to get to that. Yeah, uh, we got a couple more questions. Love it. Um, said Burley says my team South Carolina has to build back uh, the the press from you guys to come more. <laughs> Dude, we love South Carolina. It's just, it, was, is... it was a tough year. I'll tell you what, we're going to work to get Shane Beamer on the show yeah. here before next year. He's one. We're big fans of Shane Beamer. It's Beamer Ball time. Beamer Ball, baby. I love Shane Beamer. I do dude. too. He's awesome. Yep. I'm all, I'm all about South Carolina. I mean, heck, Lenora Sellers era, that could, be, that, be, that could be a go. Tell you what, we'll get you some South Carolina content. You have our yep. word, really. We'll get you some yep. South Carolina content in addition to doing everything we can to get Shane Beamer on the program. Feel mm -hmm. confident we can, do, we can get that done for you. Well, an interesting comment. We've got, I think, a couple more questions, but I do want to get to this comment that is about Shane Beamer. Um, I can't really pronounce this name. I can't tell if these are rails or eyes, uh, but... I don't even want to guess. Uh, I'd like to uh, see South Carolina leave Beamer in the past and try to get Luke Fickle, Fickle TBH, IDK, if that would ever happen. Yeah. See, I think, I think Luke Fickle's happy being at Wisconsin. I think he's just getting started over there. Also, it's like it was one down year for South Carolina. Like the two years previously, they had made the people in Vegas look stupid. 
Like they, they had gashed their over-under win total the last two years. So I understand the desire for a better 2023 result. You know, you missed a bowl game. But in 2021 and 2022, 2021, seven wins, 2022, eight wins. Like Shane Beamer can coach some ball. It's just going to take some time, I think, for them to totally get the talent that they need on that roster to compete in the SEC. But, I mean, if you threw South Carolina in the Big Ten West last year, where are they at in that conference? Like they're probably competing for a spot in Indy with how open that thing was. So we like South Carolina. We're, we're going to be slow to sell our Beamer stock. One down year. You've seen two good years. Let's kind of let's give it some runway here. The SEC, man, is tough to win in that conference. Yep. I think it's Illinois who asked that question. Um, well, that's kind of that's clever. That's a cool name. Yeah. Illinois. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Have us a speed round to close out today. Love close it, out man. The week. Okay. First one, Gary Ball. JD, who's your pick to win the Big Ten next year? I got to go right now, subject to change, reserving our right to change, yes. Ohio State. Okay, sounds good. Um, thank you very much to uh, Gary. How about Lance Grimm says, J.D., what do you think about a salary cap with how much people can make in NIL? I don't particularly like it for the players. Um, That's just tough to implement, I think. Yeah. I think it's tough to implement. I mean, I, I see the idea. I'm honestly like... Hey, the big boys that want to make the, like, I, I like the fact that college football in a lot of ways is like you get out what you put in. Like if you give the right amount to your school, you give the resources, you can expect some good results. It doesn't always work that way, but that probably improves your chances. Same thing with NIL. If you provide the right amount of resources on the NIL front, at the very least, you give yourself a chance for roster retention. And I think we all understand it's a factor in acquiring top talent as well, whether it's high school or portal or otherwise. So I, I'm, I'm honestly in favor of like, if you want to be good at football and you want to give your resources to that, like, great, you'll be rewarded accordingly. Uh, Sandman23, um, ask JD who has the better season, Texas, Texas A&M, or Oklahoma. Even playing field, they're all in the same conference now. What do you think, JD? Gosh. I'll go Texas because I know the most about their quarterback. I love Connor Wegman. I love Mike Elko. I love Jack Starnold. I love Brent Venables. But I'm going to go ahead and say Texas. I think they're further along and also love what they did in the portal. Got some weapons. Um, I think Sark is, is kind of at this point where uh, the culture is consistent. That uh, I think that, I think they're in for another good year. I don't know if they're uh, going to win the SEC their first year there, but I, I like where they sit right now. I'm excited about Texas. Last question. This is a good one to end on, JD. Uh, one, once more from Jared says, does the upcoming season feel a little more wide open than it did last year? Definitely not at the end of last year, if you ask me, but maybe at the beginning. That's a really good question. Um, does it feel more wide open? I think just structurally it's more wide open. Like you look at the, the schedules across the board and just what we said a second ago, you can drop probably two games and still have a way to come back to life get hot at the right time, win the national championship. Whereas before it was like, okay, they lost two games, they're out. Because nobody with two losses makes the four-team playoff. So in that way, I would say, I guess it is more wide open. Um, I, I've sort of felt this, uh, like I think the last two four-team playoffs give some indication that it's always been pretty wide open if you handle business for the most part. Like Florida State fans are getting at us in the chat with me even saying that, so I understand your your frustration. But like the last two years, we've had TCU and Washington play for national titles. Now neither of them won it, but the fact they were in it, I think, proves a point that it's pretty wide open if you're able to uh, to do what you're supposed to do nine times out of ten. 
not counting Florida State, obviously. So, mm-hmm. but is it is it more wide open structurally? I would just say percentages wise, it's hard to say no. Mm-hmm. That's how we feel about that. Hey, Nick, I appreciate you, brother. Yeah, good absolutely. stuff, man. We'll like, see you here. Hey, one more week in this current studio. Yeah. Be interesting. I don't think I'll be on camera in the next one. Really? I'm not sure. We'll figure out. Maybe I'll figure it out, but it'll it'll be different. But uh, yeah, we'll see what it's like. And next week, we'll we'll soak it all in. That's even more reason for the folks that only use the podcast <laughs> to come back next week. You got to see Nick break. Bro. Hey, yeah. I, you know? Hey, you call me a 10 out of 10. I appreciate that, JD. Yeah, right just objectively. You, like, that's yeah. not my opinion. That's just like a factual thing to say. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't, you know, blame the formula. Yeah. Uh, okay, so this time next week, very last one from this studio, and we'll yep. uh, we'll go out with a bang. Go out with a bang. We'll appreciate see you, man. it. Heck yeah! Again, that's Nick Break, man, the myth, the legend. Hey, appreciate y'all being tuned in. Thank you for being dialed in. As we're here in January, like I, I said it a little bit ago, maybe a week or so ago, like this is college football junkie season, right? A lot of people they say, hey, great, thanks, thanks for the great season, thanks for playing the games. We'll be back in late August, early September. Not y'all. Y'all that love the sport, that you're about this sport, this is what we do. This is who we are all year long, and we do it right here on this show, The Hard Count, on the On3 YouTube channel. Again, three times a week. Tell a friend. Make sure they're subscribed. Be a friend. For myself, J.D. Pacal, Nick Brake, the rest of us here at On3, we appreciate y'all. We love y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling, and we will see y'all next time. something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details